Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey everyone, my name is Andre and this is the Tennis in Bagels podcast. A podcast about tennis from the eyes of a regular spectator. An enthusiast who just likes to watch tennis from home and doesn't necessarily have, uh, can afford or just can um, travel around the world to uh, watch tennis matches and uh, essentially cannot really follow um, around the world like journalists. So... If you're just a regular person watching tennis and who is interested in tennis, this podcast um, could interest you. Interest you. Um, so, um, yeah, I uh, hope you stick around. So, um, since, um, so just to give a little bit of a summary for the podcast, even um, the, the goal of it was to actually kind of talk a little bit about the tournament and the matches and stuff like that. But, um, And I was successful in doing that for about um, maybe six episodes or so until um, coronavirus hit and now um, I can't because there's no tennis being played and there won't be any tennis being played until at least May. And even that, it's probably it's probably not going to happen. We're probably not going to have tennis until probably like July or so, which is it's really sad. It's really bad and it's not entertaining at all. It's starting to actually get a little bit boring at home um there's not much to do and if you think oh i'm just gonna stay home but then again everybody else is staying at home so there's aside from all the series and stuff that you can watch on netflix there isn't um if you're like me and you're really enthusiastic about um sports um there is no sports right now so that's that's a lack of uh that part of the entertainment world um which kind of um uh, Yeah, it's a bummer, and uh, even the the organizations are finding it a bummer, and they're, they're running out of ideas. Essentially, the um, players aren't are essentially just taking over social media and posting fun challenges and fun things and doing uh, um, whatever skits on TikTok and stuff like that. Um, really good accounts to follow are um christy christy n i think that's her name um i just followed her on twitter but i can't really exactly find my phone right now so unfortunately cannot really uh, confirm her name but um wait hold up i'll find it up yep it's christy and she's um she's an american tennis player and she uh i think she's about 20 years old um see if there's anything here uh not really but anyway she has a tiktok channel and she is actually really funny 
Um, <laughs> not, I, I hate using the word actually because it really sounds condescending, but she, she's really funny and I uh, think it's a pretty good account to follow. And also Stan Wawrinka is really funny too, like he's, he posts a lot of even montages on Photoshop and stuff like that. He's actually, he's actually quite active on social media, so that's pretty cool. But that's about it. That's about as much as of tennis as I'm doing, air quotation marks, um, which obviously nobody can see because this is just audio. But um, yeah, so there's about as much tennis as we get. Um, and so I've been trying to like at least like give some pieces of news and stuff like that. And um, because there's still things that are going on, like people are evaluating it almost day by day. And like day by day, we get like, different stuff going on in sports sports world and uh, I think the major news is obviously everybody knows at this point is that the Tokyo Olympics are postponed to 2021 which essentially gives Mandy Murray a little bit more room to get fitter and match fit to try and defend his gold medal um, and takes away Roger Federer's time in terms of winning in a gold medal in singles because already has one in doubles and I was reflecting about it today and I was like holy crap um, gold medals is, is still a gold medal regardless if you win it on singles or doubles it's still a pretty big achievement but for um, I guess history books and record books he doesn't have a career golden slam so that's that's just like term terminology I don't know if you know uh, it's just kind of technicalities I guess but yeah and on other news um Roland Garros have been has postponed I think I mentioned that last week as well that they postponed it the tournament to September 20th or whatever I don't necessarily know where they stand on on that uh right now but essentially everybody was really um they were really pissed at at, at the Roland Garros administration for that because firstly it falls um, a week after the U.S. Open finishes, which is ridiculous. Like you can't play two Grand Slams under, like within within a week apart. Like the closest that we've got from that was uh, the U- Wimbledon from uh, after the U.S. the Roland Garros tournament. Um, and Roland Garros was held, I guess, three weeks before or two weeks before Wimbledon and now I think you have a full month because they added tournaments in the calendar so they were able to push Wimbledon a little bit further which is great for players to keep their bodies healthy and whatever um but yeah so and the other essentially big part of uh, Roland Garros being terribly placed after the U.S. Open is that people tennis are tennis players are headed to Asia for the Asian swing so completely ridiculous that they would have that like people sometimes they take uh, the, ten, the, t- the players sometimes take the time to uh, play smaller tournaments and uh, it just, just wouldn't do it just is a terrible placement for um, for, a t- for a tournament for a Grand Slam even because if you if you postpone maybe like a 250 tournament or a 500 it's probably not too much of a, of prob- of a problem because players would probably just find that a bummer and would have to play somewhere else but not a Grand Slam. A Grand Slam is too too much a, a, of a big event to be postponed almost carelessly as he has been done. Um, and the other very important aspect of uh, Roland Garros being, push, being pushed 
and for me, I guess like the least important, but a lot of players find it a big deal, is uh, the Laver Cup. The Laver Cup is essentially an exhibition tournament. It, it really is worth nothing. It doesn't give players any points and it's played as in Europe, Europe against world. So what does that even, it's, it's kind of, it's pretty ridiculous in a sense. It's kind of almost, um, if I say Europe against world, essentially uh, a way of making sure that Roger Federer and Nadal always win a tournament because they're both Europeans and also Novak Djokovic is a, is European. So it's, it's an exhibition tournament. Lots of people don't really find it a big deal, but also lots of people think it's really fun and lots of players actually think it's really fun. So I guess it's just me who hasn't really gone into, um, gotten into it very much because I kind of, I kind of like to count points. It's kind of, I really find it interesting to like see the whole battle of uh, rankings and see who's um, climbing up the rankings and what's at stake and stuff like that. So the Liver Cup doesn't really give that. But maybe I just need to uh, try to get into exhibition matches a little bit more because not even Davis Cup. Davis Cup is also something that I haven't really grown into very much. But I do like the new format. I will give that that I actually do like the new format and I do like the ATP Cup as well in terms of entertainment just give me more tennis that's fine I, I like it i love it in terms of importance we'll figure it out as time goes by but yeah um so yeah that's that's about it for the news portion which is already taking about eight to nine minutes actually no it's about six minutes of uh this news section and i don't know why i'm saying this but whatever it's uh, irrelevant information for people so but since we don't have tennis going on right now, what I decided I was going to do is I uh, was just going to, I don't know, give some lists. <laughs> I'm just going to make lists and uh, like BuzzFeed lists, but like better, obviously, because everybody can make lists better than, than BuzzFeeds because BuzzFeed sucks. Um, um, so I'm going to start with uh, my list of fi- my favorite active ATP players, because honestly, you can can divide players into as many lists and things as you possibly can imagine. Because for anything that you can think of, there's a stat or something like that. Like best uh, best forehand, best backhand, best footwork, best uh, athleticism, best whatever. Like whatever you can think of, you can make a list of, and this is how things work. Best first serve, best second serve, you name it. So. I'm going to start and I am going to go over, um, I'm going to leave, so I'm going to do something a little bit um, unconventional here. I'm going to start with number four up to number one and I'll leave number five for last because it's a little bit of a, I know a lot of people would be listening to that and be like, really? But that's me that's my list and maybe i'm just doing that for because i like the controversies or whatever but here's my top five um best my top five favorite at atp active players and starting at number four is uh stefanos Tsitsipas, the greek player and there's a lot to say about him. He's he's really young. Like I, I listed out a couple of things, a couple of facts about them, and um, honestly, I feel like um, 
Tsitsipas is going to be the next number one outside um, the big four. The big four being Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, and Andy Murray. Andy Murray has been a little bit out, so there's like a big three right now. Not necessarily a big four, but Murray has been part of a big four for a long time. So kudos to him for that. But yeah, Tsitsipas is my pick because he is so... He's so mature for his for his age. He's a very mature player. He knows how to win matches. He knows how to behave. <laughs> well, that's uh, but he knows how to behave as a tennis player. Like on court, he doesn't give up. He has the right mentality to win points and not to essentially choke. And he really just plays very easily. He seems like um, his playing is effortless, and it doesn't necessarily stand out for power. He doesn't necessarily stand out as a very like a big player um but he's just very accurate and very intelligent he plays very intelligently um but he does has he does have like a beautiful backhand down the line he's probably one of the best of the game right now a nice one-handed backhand which by the way there are three of those in this list i just realized so a couple of things about him that i find is really interesting is uh from it's one is that he's the youngest top 10 player right now i think he's 21 years 21 he's 21 right now he's born in 1998 he's turning 22 at some point this year but currently he's um he's 21 so youngest yeah youngest top 10 at number six or seven um he's already beaten nadal on clay federer on hard and has beaten Djokovic as well which is very very impressive um uh, and one of the best matches I find that um, he's played is one that he actually lost, which is really sad. It was to Vavrinka in Roland Garros, I think it was a quarterfinal match, or round four. He lost in five, uh, eight, six in the last set. And if that match was had had gone the other way, if uh, Tsitsipas had won, I think this could have been a major break- breakthrough in his career. He probably i feel like he, he would have been able to maybe have won, have won a grand slam by now or maybe reach the final or something he could ha- he could be part of the top three right top three right now i feel like if he had won that match they had a little bit of a breakdown after that like couldn't really pick up his game but he's only 21 so that's easy that's easy to forget he's super young and uh federer didn't win his first grand slam by i think 23 years of age something like that but um yeah so Still, I'm still very hopeful for him. I feel like, and also he reminds me of uh, Bjorn Borg and Gustavo Kirten for whatever reason. Eh. Um, and another cool fact about him is the fact that he has a podcast, which I just found out while I was researching about him. And uh, he has a YouTube channel. He's a vlogger. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Just moving on because this apparently this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be a long one if I keep just going like for this long for every player. So coming up at number three is currently the world number three, Dominic Team. Um, Team is a pleasure to watch. He has such a powerful game. He's, he's really an awesome tennis player. And apparently he's a very nice person as well. Like, I mean, he he does show very good behavior um, on and off court. He does... Uh, interviews 
um, and he's really polite um, to, to essentially everybody. Journalists that have known him, they say on Twitter, because I know no journalists, but they say on Twitter that he's really nice. So um, take it for face value, I guess. But I think one of my favorite parts of his game is obviously his backhand. So beautiful, so powerful. He shoots it like a... Like he... You know, like sometimes we we commentators complain about like one-handed backhand like lacking maybe power or precision or being like vulnerable um, but in all honesty Dominic team's backhand is so solid it doesn't doesn't it doesn't feel like a weakness at all in fact it's probably one of his strengths um, and he also moves very fast he's a really powerful player he's like a player like in contrast to TC Paz he does um his game is very like one of the parts of his game or the highlights of this game really uh is how fast he is how fast <clears throat> how fast he moves how how hard he hits the ball so yeah um it's in it i feel kind of sorry for him <clears throat> oh boy let me just have some water here I feel a little sorry for him <laughs> um, because um, he is just playing in such a tough era, honestly. Like, he played, um, he's playing Rafa Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. And not to say that they're all at their peaks, I think Federer is uh, obviously not playing as well as he has been, but he's still. A massive challenge, and Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal seem to have reached their peaks and just stayed there. Um, so it's just too much for for players to have to handle, like the the amount of pressure of beating those guys and uh, just how good they are, even. But I, in any other era, I think team would have been potentially number one and won multiple Grand Slams at this point. And um, he's, uh, he's been able to win his one and one and only Masters 1000 last year at Indian Wells, a tournament that got the first tournament to get canceled this year. And he beat Federer in the final, which is really cool. It's really it's really awesome. He came from a set down to beat him in three. So it's, a, it's really nice um, to see him winning, and uh, maybe that gives him more confidence to eventually win his first Grand Slam. Really. Um, sad that he lost twice to Nadal and Clay um, at Roland Garros final. He lost to Nadal as well, and I don't know who else, but he lost to. I think he lost twice to Nadal on in AT, on ATP Masters 1000s finals uh, on Clay. But he did beat Nadal and Clay though, so that's pretty intense. Um, and he he did lose this year in the. Uh, Australian Open final against Novak Djokovic in kind of a controversial match but it just got a feel for him he he was devastated after the loss he just did not want to have it with anybody he just didn't even want to be in the in the conference room afterwards so that's that best of luck for team I uh, hope he can win a couple, a couple grand slams before he finishes his career and he's 26 too so he's not necessarily old but he also, he's also not the, in the youngest parts of his career. So, yeah. The My number two 
player, my favorite, and that took me a while to uh, realize that. Um, at the beginning, I didn't like him all that much. That's just because he kept winning um, and because he kept beating my favorite player. But uh, And number two is Roger Federer as my second most second favorite player uh, who's active, which is impressive because he's 38 years old and he's turning 39 this year, I believe. Um, so it's kind of impressive that he makes this list in 2020 because he turned a pro in 1998, uh, the year that Tsitsipas was born. <laughs> yep, so uh, yeah, he's been, he's been there for a while. Uh, even though he's number two in this list, I personally consider Roger Federer to be the best player of all time. I, I believe he's the greatest of all time, like the GOAT. For me, this is, this is Roger Federer. I don't, I don't even care how many slams Nadal ends up getting at the end of his career, or even Djokovic, but um, I feel like he's the best because his game is just so, so effortless. He's... Uh, he almost like dances around the court. Like people say, like he's the maestro. He says he's classy, and it's it's just essentially because his game is just makes he makes everything look easy, and like he's not even making any effort for anything. He never grunts when he hits a ball, except for his second serve. Um, and he is capable of such incredible finesse shots. It's it's for me the most talented player that has ever existed. Like. In all honesty, I think it's Roger Federer. Um, and he's been able to like beat a lot of things in his life, including uh, what I believe is a mental block against Rafa Nadal. He's, he's been able to beat that in 2017. Um, and he made adjustments to his game so late in his career when people thought he was just going down, never going to win a big tournament again. He comes back and win. Uh, and wins uh, Australian Open, Wimbledon. Did he win Wimbledon? I think he did in 2017. So, yeah, he reaches 20 Grand Slams. Uh, I don't know if, if he has another one in him. I believe he could win another Wimbledon. If it happens this year, I think he might be able to win it. I think so. I don't believe he can win another hardcore Grand Slams, but you never know. Like, even though he keeps getting older and... Uh, he keeps coming back there is there is a limit to like how much his body can take i believe so well not i believe I, i'm pretty sure like this is uh the biology at this point unless he's superhuman which is essentially looking like so <laughs> but yeah um oh another thing so fun facts about why i feel like feather is the best on of all time obviously his 20 grand slams the most of all time he has 103 titles. Um, only two players have done this, uh, him and Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Connors has 109. Um, he has the most weeks in world number one in an era with Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal, mind you. Um, and a lot of those years between until 2009, Nadal was doing pretty good in his in his uh, career already. He had won Wimbledon in 2008. But yeah. He has 310 weeks at number one. Um, he has most consecutive at 237 weeks, which is four years in a row. Nobody has ever done before this. I don't think anybody has ever even has ever even come close to that record. It's it's insane how, how long he has stayed there. It's like essentially for me, when I think of Federer, 
his number one for me just because like for the longest time when I was watching him he was number one um, he never retired from a match which is even in, more impressive if you think that um, well he played 1500 matches I guess in his career has won 1200 I believe and um, he is 30 he's turning 39 and he never retired from a match that's it's um, something that's a, that's a big achievement, and yeah, this is this is why I think Federer is great. And as a tennis lover, tennis enthusiast, uh, enthusiast, I think Federer is just a joy to watch. I really, I have never watched him playing live, but I really wish I could at some point. Um, if I wish he'd come to Montreal, um, maybe next year so that I can watch him, and if not, I don't know, maybe at some point in my life I can get to an exhibition when he's uh, playing, I don't know, against uh, Pete Sampras or whoever. But, yeah, there's this Federer. And um, my favorite uh, ATP active player right now, and he has always been my favorite, and not because of records or achievements or anything, but simply because, I don't know, I watched, uh, I think the first match that I watched on TV, he was playing, and I just got such great vibes from him, he just seemed like a nice, very, very nice person, um, and like a very nice person, as in like, I obviously probably will never get to know him, but like, in the sense that amongst players, he seems to be really uh, nice, and he's really fun to watch, and he... Um, makes impersonations which is hilarious and at this point you all know who this is and uh, it's uh, Novak Djokovic he's my favorite ATP player um, so my favorite male tennis player active and he probably will be well actually I don't know but he probably could be like my favorite player um, regardless of the era male female I feel like Djokovic is my favorite player regardless um and a couple of nice facts about like Djokovic's career is he won 79 titles, less than Federer, less than Nadal, I think. Um, he has 17 Grand Slams. He won a lot of them. Well, he won 16 out of all of these Grand Slams between 2011 and 2020, which right now doesn't seem like much, but uh, his first Grand Slam was in 2008. Um, Federer won of his all of his twenty Grand Slams since his first one was in two thousand three, so much longer uh, period of time. Um, Nadal's also has um, Nadal's first Grand Slam was in two thousand and five, so he's been winning constantly since. So for Djokovic and Nadal is in nineteen, by the way. So I think I've already said that, but like just good to remember. And I believe he has the record for thirty four. For most um, Masters 1000s at 34, I can check it out. And that's exactly what I'm going to do because I have a computer right in front of me. No, I was wrong. Rafael Nadal has 35, so Djokovic has one less. Roger Federer has 28, he's in third. Um, the previous record, which when Nadal beat it, um, I don't even know when, uh, was Andre Agassi at 17, Masters 1000s. And when he got to 18, it was already very insane. And... Now that he has 35, Roger Federer has 28. It almost seems like Roger Federer doesn't have that many, but he has 
11 more than the previous um, record from Andre Agassi, which was 17. So that's pretty insane. Um, uh, so yeah, back to Djokovic. Uh, he had two very, very incredible seasons. One of them was in 2011. And uh, I remember the season as being like a great joy in my life. I don't even know why, but because oh, I don't know that guy. But there's just something about it. It's kind of like when you're when you're a fan of a football team or a soccer team or a basketball team and they win, you just feel really good, right? So that's kind of like how I feel about Djokovic. Uh, I lost my train of thought because um, I have, was having some issues with my uh, software that I record my audio in, but we're back and everything is fine. I didn't lose anything. I was scared for a moment here, but yeah. Um, what was I saying? I might cut that out. Um, Anyway, yeah, a few really good when Djokovic wins. And uh, 2011 was a really great season. I remember really clearly he won Australian Open. Um, he was, he was, the Australian Open was his first Grand Slam since 2008 that he won. And then after that, he won, he, he won Wimbledon and the US Open, which was incredible. I really wish he had uh, won all four in the same season. That would have been absolutely fantastic but that would have been also um pretty um like a massive feat like honestly i don't even know if this is even possible at this point like there would need to be such an incredible player to do that because not nadal wasn't able to do it um djokovic wasn't able to do it and federer wasn't able to do it um but djokovic was able to hold all four grand slams at the same time not in the same season though so he won I don't actually remember when that happened but I think it was it was from 2014 to 2015 maybe because you won yeah I think that's about it like or maybe 2015 to no it was definitely 2014 to 2015 and I, I believe he did it twice or no, I don't even know. But like he did it at least once. He did he did hold all of Grand Slams at the same time. He was the champion of all Grand Slams, um, consecutively, um, starting from Wimbledon to uh, to Roland Garros. So yeah, the only other player who has been able to do that was Rod Laver in 1969. So that is a pretty huge feat. He also has a record for having won all of the ATP Masters 1000s, not consecutively, not in the same season, because that would be absolutely ridiculous, because there are nine of those, but still, he was the, he's the only one who has ever been able to do that. I think Roger Federer is missing two or three, and Nadal is missing one. I think that one is, I want to say Cincinnati, or maybe, Shang I think it's Shanghai, actually. But yeah, this is this is how they stand on against each other. Um, what else do I have here about him? Um, yeah, so even though 2011 was a ridiculous season and he had a 41-match win streak, which ended at the hands of Roger Federer in Roland Garros' semifinal, um, 2015 was actually his best season. He did he won six Masters 1000s of all nine uh, that you can win. Three Grand Slams, and uh, oh, by, by the way, the six Masters 1001 season is a record. Like, he did um, make that record for himself. He does hold that as I'm 
Masters, Master, whatever. I think the name of the um, big record that he made, which was named, they created for him because nobody even had done this before. I think potentially even Landol, but like not with this terminology of ATP Masters 1000, but uh, it's ATP Golden Masters, I think that's what they named it. But yeah, this is how Djokovic stands in that. And um, his winning percentage went to 2015 was 93.2%. I think he won about 85 matches and lost six. You make the math. It, it has to give, it has to have, it has to be 93.2%. All this information, by the way, you can find on Wikipedia and the ATP World Tour website. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of like pointing out the things that I remember most and the things that I, um, that I think are most impressive about the, these. And yeah, I remember when Djokovic lost in, uh, wait, 2015, he did not win Roland Garros, right? Yeah. So it was 2015 to 2016 that he held all four Grand Slams at the same time, because in 2015, I remember watching, um, in the final, when he beat Nadal uh, in the quarterfinals or round four of Roland Garros, and he lost to Vavrinka in five. Actually, I think it's just four. He lost to Vavrinka in four. And I was really upset. It really destroyed my evening, like, that that day. Um, so, yeah, it was a... Uh, it was quite a... It was quite a powerful moment. But, like, when he did come back and win it in 2016... I don't even remember. He beat Murray in the final um, in four sets. And I felt, I honestly felt like I had accomplished that with him. Like there was nothing else to accomplish. Like like a huge hurdle in his life <coughs> had been removed and uh, <clears throat> had been cleared rather. And uh, honestly, like I was really happy and like uh, after this, I don't even know to whom to cheer because I really like Roger Federer and Djokovic almost like um, equally. So I can't even tell like, but I, I'm still always very happy when I see Djokovic winning and this to see that he is number one. Something that makes me happy and quite irrational. But anyways, and as I said, um, those were the top four and I left the number five to the end because it's going to be a controversial number five, I'm sure. Um, and then number five, below all of the guys that I've uh, said before, for obvious reasons, um, is Nick Kyrgios, the Australian who's a bad boy, who um, said terrible words to Vavrinka, and he's just kind of like been very much of a rat um, for a lot of his career. But... I think you gotta hear me out on that one, right? Because <laughs> Kyrgios is incredibly talented. He has, he has a great game. He's just like has every shot in the book. He's capable of massively powerful backhands and forehands, passing shots, volleys, drop volleys, drop shots. Powerful first and second serve. He can do whatever he wants on court. Like, regardless. Um, you can can find tons of highlight reels with uh, curious shots. It's super entertaining, super awesome. And as a tennis spectator, as a watcher, I like that he does that. Like it, it really. I think it's really cool. I don't like necessarily what he has been doing with his talent, which is kind of like not really taking anything seriously and just being very 
arrogant and not really overall a nice person to essentially anybody but this year has changed a lot and um, I think this is really cool because I've always thought and lots of people have read Uh, have thought as well that if he could control his temperament he could control himself could essentially mature into being a professional not necessarily a tennis professional but just having a professional attitude he can bring a lot to the game he can become really good he can get um, further into tournaments and be a big challenge to uh, top players um, and he himself become a top player Uh, in the future and I really think that this is possible I really think his it is within his reach um, if he keeps it if he keeps it up so a couple of facts about him that are honestly impressive and I didn't actually know all of them so he has wins against all of the big three uh, and he has never lost to Novak Djokovic he is a 2-0 against him he has lost six times to Roger Federer but he won one so that's pretty cool um, and he has Nadal leads him by five to five to three, which is also pretty big. Uh, pretty, it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty good uh, hat to hat to have. Um, um, and yeah, I guess this is essentially all the, the the facts that I wanted to give. But like, those should actually say a lot because um, he, I think he leads Titipas like three two or something. Um, he has beat been every single one in this uh, list except for team. I think I had written that. Had that written somewhere in here. Yeah, anyways. That's essentially what it is. So, um, he's a big player. He's a big talent. He's. I think he's more talented than... Uh, um, what's his, his name? Gaia Monfils, who, who I considered putting in this list, but I chose Curious instead because it's, I think he's more talented than Monfils and I think his mind, when he's focused, he's, he's more able to focus than Monfils is. I think Monfils doesn't necessarily believe in himself as much and Curious believes in himself maybe too much um, and that he doesn't necessarily care about the game. So that's the downside about him. That's why he made it number five and not higher. Um, but... Yeah, maybe maybe he can still become a great player in the future. Um, he's only 23, I believe, turning 24 this year. So he has time to become pretty good still. And that's it for my top five. Um, just men honorable mentions um, here being Andy Murray and Del Potro, who probably would have made this list uh, if Del Potro wasn't kind of considering retirement because very sadly... He has been having tons of uh, injuries in the past. He has not been very happy with his game because of has has had problems mostly mo problems mostly with his wrists. So yeah, um, I wish that Potro would come back. He's also really fun to watch, incredibly powerful powerful forehand and just a nice guy. He's definitely a nice guy. Um, and Andy Murray also. You can't be sure that he's going to be returning even because he's he did return last year he didn't come back to the game when a tournament uh, was considered uh, most um, like comeback of the year that's why he won as an award but um, you never know like his surgery was really big and uh, I feel like there is still a chance that he might just call it a career um, sooner rather than later because of that so 
he didn't make it in this list just because none of those guys made it into this list because we can't be sure that after coronavirus is gone, there are going to be active players. So there are players on standby at this moment, in a sense. Even though everybody's on standby, most everybody in this list is going to come back. But those two, not necessarily. We can't be sure. So that's it for... Uh, my list, I will be making more lists next week. I will make the my, the list for my favorite uh, active WTA players. So the the women tour, the women's tour. This is what I'm going to be focusing on. And it's going to be a little hard for me because uh, I said many times I don't pay as much attention, not, as, not nearly as much as I should to the uh, women's tour. But that's just something that I've been working in the past. Um year or so so <clears throat> i've been following the atp for since 2007 2006 and the wta i just kind of like watched it here and there but now i'm just kind of like trying to get more uh focused on it more interest in it so that's it i'll probably be making i have a lot of a lot of other ideas that i want to do uh, of other lists that i want to make um, some are a little bit more difficult than others, but we'll see how happens. Um, and hopefully, I'll have to go through. I won't have to go through all of them because uh, the virus crisis would be gone, would be over by then. So that's it. This is this was my top five favorite ATP ATP active players. Um, I'll see you next week. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.